Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad and with me is Benjamin Hunting. Hey Ben, what's up? <laughs> hey Sammy, uh, and greetings to all of our listeners. Uh, ben and I breathe in, breathe out. We are machine heads, just like Bush. But Isn't humans. a good way to describe Human mach- way to describe it? No, I hate I hate Bush, but if you want to make a Machine Head reference, then I will accept the uh, early 70s Deep Purple album, which changed my life. There we go. Perfect. I think that's, uh, I'll agree with that. That's fine. If it changed your life, I'm sure it changed mine in a related way. Um, That's a good way to describe us. I think Ben usually tells us that we're, let's see here, uh, automotive journalists, of course. Yes. And that means we get to drive and check out some of the cool new cars, and uh, we pay attention to the latest happenings in the industry. Maybe a little bit too much attention sometimes. But that's why uh, we have this podcast, so we can get it all out of our systems. And uh, in fact, kind of segueing from the journalist thing, uh, part of the cool part of being an automotive journalist is you get ridiculous amounts of access to cool stuff and cars. And I think Sammy had a very um, interesting sample of that type of access this past week. You want to tell people where you were and what you were doing, Sammy? I actually went all the way to Japan to uh, hang out with the folks at Mitsubishi, who were insistent that Mitsubishi is still a great automaker and uh, still have it going on despite just being uh, a, like acquired by the Nissan-Renault alliance and uh, joining that big group of, uh, of companies. And did they, did they mention the merger at all? Kind of, uh... oh, oh, yeah. They were very uh, – they, they talked about it openly. Well, um, I, I so... didn't expect them to whisper it about it, but – you know, I, I don't know. There hasn't really been a strategy that's been announced yet. So I was just curious, how did they present it to you? They talked about it in a number of ways. First of all, they they explained it that um, this isn't sort of like a takeover, um, that they will <laughs> still be they will still be Mitsubishi and Mitsubishi is still going to be um, doing their thing, which we'll just we'll we'll talk about in a minute. Um, and that there are some strategies in place where they can utilize um the resources from both Nissan and Renault to strengthen uh, Mitsubishi's offerings uh, in the future, which sounds pretty promising. Sounds kind of like platform sharing. Uh, they did say a bit of platform sharing. They also mentioned uh, technology. I think, as uh, as you know, Mitsubishi and Nissan have uh, a lot of a lot at stake when it comes to electric cars. Uh, Mitsubishi narrowly beat out the uh, Nissan Leaf. Um, to market with the iMeV, which is one of the mass market electric vehicles. Although, to be fair, not at all the same type of vehicle as the Leaf. No, I think the iMeV is a little bit smaller, a little bit more. Um, it's more like a car. it's more like a golf cart with a roof, an enclosed golf cart. I mean, if you compare the range and the amenities to the Leaf, which is a full fledged car. I mean, right, right down to the design. I mean, the iMeV just doesn't feel like a complete product um, in comparison to the more modern electric vehicles you see today. But you yeah. know what? They were very committed to delivering on the promise of a of an electric vehicle, and they did. Um, but now, going going forward, I can see the all those automakers really combining uh, together to do that. Kind of forming uh, up like Voltron to kick electric ass. Not only that, but they're also planning on. They wanted to hit as a group. They want to hit that ten million. Um, units sold mark around the world. So they're gunning for like Volkswagen and uh, Toyota numbers, which is bold, to be honest. Definitely. Um, but the cool thing is just hearing how Mitsubishi is and seeing how Mitsubishi is represented uh, outside of North America. We're, we're, in, we're in sheltered here, where especially when it comes to Mitsubishi. Mitsubishi, as, a, as an automaker, barely sells uh, 100,000 units um, in, in North America. 
um, or a little over uh, 100,000 units in North America. Which I believe is, what, one-seventh of what Ford sells of the F-150? Yeah, which is, yeah, quite frankly, a bit of a, of a dud. Um, although the market shares are pretty good, they have fairly strong sales uh, of particular models when it comes to uh, the crossover segment. They have two strong uh, entries there. I think the uh, Outlander Sport, or the RVR as it's known in uh, Canada, is an interesting subcompact crossover. And uh, the slightly bigger, the compact crossover segment, they offer the Outlander, which is not uh, not a bad car either. But to be fair, would you not say that the reason those vehicles are interesting is price-related and warranty-related? The warranty is a, is a huge part of the selling uh it's a huge selling feature of those cars. Uh, I believe they're they're offered with a ten year warranty, which is stunning, absolutely stunning. And uh, for people who are who are afraid of, of you know the long term liability of a new a new vehicle, that really does help sell vehicles. So so other than uh, receive a warm welcome into the you know Nissan Renault Alliance, uh, what else did was on the plate for you when you were with Mitsubishi in Japan? So we also got a, a really interesting explainer as to what Mitsubishi is. Um, as a, as a company, they have a Mitsubishi group of companies, which is really interesting. Um, and, and all of these companies, there's a lot of companies here. All of these companies add up their profits uh, and make up 10% of Japan's GDP, which is insane. Uh, part of the companies in that include uh, the Bank of Tokyo, the, uh, the folks at Nikon, so Nikon, you know, cameras, Kirin Beer, uh, they also have Mitsubishi Heavy Industries, which is known for making um, ships and I believe some Fuso trucks, so those transport trucks. Um, they also make airplanes. Uh, they have a new Mitsubishi Regional Jet that was that had completed their test flight last year and will be hitting um, airlines in 2018. They, you know, Mitsubishi Heavy Industries even like uh, creates the wings on the the Boeing 787, which is the airplane I took to go to Japan, which is interesting. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. And they even send uh, stuff into the space. They they have like a, a resource. Uh, <laughs> what? They have a resource um, vessel and uh, some spacecraft that they send into space to help launch satellites as well. Oh, just it's funny. Like you said, they just send stuff into space. Like like <laughs> they have like a, a yard filled with junk and they have a giant catapult. And they're just like, all right, Friday afternoon, time to kick back and let off a little steam and try and see if we can hit the ISS. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it really is amazing to see just what's included in, in the Mitsubishi group uh, of automakers. Oh, for uh, sure. I mean, uh, sorry, mean, of, of companies. I mean, that's, you know, also, it's it's been kind of a negative thing for Mitsubishi Motors because the company is, especially in North America, is just so tiny in terms of what it contributes to the bottom line overall that there was really no impetus to improve it or really make any wholesale changes. It's kind of like Suzuki when they pulled out of North America because they they weren't doing any business here. But in Japan, I think they're in the, the top three uh, automakers overall because they, you know, they make very small cars that are very popular in cities. And they, they looked at the market and they were like, why are we even trying? And I think for Mitsubishi Motors, uh, prior to this sale or merger or however they want to position it, it was a similar kind of thing, except... I don't think they looked at the market at all. I think they just kind of put things on autopilot for 10 years and then um, only recently realized that they hadn't brought out any new products in quite a while. And maybe they needed to do something about that because the money just kept coming in from everywhere else. Yeah, they have. I mean, clearly they make a ton of money with all these other uh, companies. Well, how are they going to use that to make great, greater cars? Right. Like that's the big question. 
Uh, we drove one of the, the things that we're excited, I think. Maybe excited isn't the right word. We're looking forward to seeing in the North American market, which is the Outlander plug-in electric vehicle uh, or PHEV. I'm not that excited about it, but some people might be. Well, I don't uh, think anyone's excited about it. I think, uh, I think by and large, plug-in hybrids they just don't tip, they don't move the needle in North America. I mean, I think they're like less than one percent of of sales. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong there. Uh, I mean, in the global, in the North American market, yeah, yeah. I don't think there's any significance uh, in our market. But you know, this car, this truck. I don't know how to describe it. this crossover uh, is popular overseas. They've sold over 60,000 uh, units already, um, which is pretty impressive for a plug-in electric, a, a plug-in crossover, right? Uh, and outside of the luxury automakers, this is the only one out there, right? So, you know, there's the Volvo XC90 and the X5 uh, E-Drive, which are both plug-in crossovers. Um, but those command a, a premium over a regular mainstream vehicle. And the crossover is uh, the the Mitsubishi Outlander is is not supposed to hit that you know level of equipment and luxury. Anyways, we drove it. We drove it on uh, their R and D test track, which had these really gnarly banked turns on it. And I've never been on a banked turn before, so that was new. Did you get to uh, uh, stop the car and get out and stand on a banked turn? No, I didn't. Have you done that? Yeah. What? Really? Why? Well, well, uh, some of the tracks that I I drive my own car at are banked, so. It's uh, had that opportunity in the past. Cool. Um, and uh, it was a it was a pretty smooth ride. Uh, the electric vehicle is is clearly I mean it's a complete product. It's not like a science project. It works. Um, they just haven't delivered it, and they've been selling it for I think two years in other markets. They just haven't moved it over here. Uh, and when you ask them why, they say the market just isn't ready yet in North America. And I think that means gas prices are high, or the packaging just isn't correct yet. Oh, and and also, you know, the fact remains. I think in North America, the reason people buy plug-in uh, electric vehicles is because they can get crazy government rebates on them. Um, that's the only real reason to do it. If you look at their price to what they deliver in terms of economy, I mean, I, it's really too bad because that I believe we discussed it in a previous podcast. But I had the plug-in Sonata um, mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago, and it's an it's an excellent it's the best sedan Hyundai makes, uh, without question. But it's also super expensive compared to even a base hybrid. I mean, if you want to go down to a base Sonata, it's it's even more. The gap is huge. But in Canada, at least, you can in three provinces in Canada, you can get really significant. I think it's up to eight thousand dollars off. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the United States too, there's also some you know some states and federally there's there's tax credits available, and that's what keeps these moving at a slow trickle off the lot. Because otherwise, if you had to buy that car in its own merits, I mean. It's a good car, but it's not worth the price they're selling it at uh, when you compare it to what else you could buy in a more traditional vehicle. And I think that's true of most plug-in hybrids. I mean, the same with the Volvo. I I enjoy driving it. It's extremely expensive. That one's very expensive, absolutely. And that's what I was mentioning, you know, as a, especially as a premium vehicle, right? But at least the Mitsubishi, if it was to come to market anytime soon, won't have that extra luxury tax sort of tacked onto it. Maybe not. We'll, I mean, it would be interesting to see how they priced it. Uh, in terms of electric range, this thing is somewhere between 50 and 60 kilometers of range, which uh, seems okay. That's pretty good. I mean, it, when you have a, a crossover, one of the things you can do is put in a bigger battery. Um, mm-hmm. I think the one in the Sonata is a 9.8 kilowatts, a kilowatt hours, and that translates into roughly 40 kilometers of range. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and it, it, it's about five, five and a half times the size of the one you would find 
in the the regular hybrid so um yeah. it takes up a lot of trunk space but i mean in a crossover you can just shove that underneath the load floor and it's not as big a deal uh, yeah it was it was and we even got to see these cars getting made and the battery packs being assembled which was a very unique experience i've never seen that before um and those slide right into the underneath the 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 seats uh not even in the back seats just in the in the floor of the vehicle um and of course they get they reduce some of the packaging they 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 have all-wheel drive, sure, but the rear axle, I believe, is uh, powered by the electric motors, so they don't need that, you know, that uh, all-wheel drive, all that all-wheel drive um, components that take up space underneath the vehicle. You're talking about drive shafts. Just say drive, drive shaft. shaft. Drive sure, shaft. Why not? Drive shaft. Drive. Drive, drive shaft tra- transfer case. Transfer case. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what else did you do in Japan? Because Japan is pretty awesome. Um, it's one of my favorite places. It's very, very, very different from North America in almost every way, which is fascinating to me. And it, I want to know what Sammy did that was weird in, in Japan. It was very interesting. Uh, I took uh, the bullet train, which was really cool. We hit nearly uh, 300 kilometers an hour on that, which was – it felt very quick. It felt like you were always taking off in an airplane. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's very smooth, too. I mean, in comparison to the trains I take um, back home, uh, there's no bumps or, or rattling or, or anything like that. It was extremely smooth. Um, we also took the subway, which was comfortable up until uh, rush hour when everybody got on. And uh, I had to suck in my tummy and to allow some more space, which was – and you got just awkwardly close to people. Well, did you have, <laughs> uh, did you have conductors pushing people in, wedging them into the car? I didn't see anybody doing that. But, that, ha- uh, that happened to me in Tokyo. That's, it, that's surreal, intense, right? And yeah, what's funny, I was with a friend who's who is quite tall. He's six four, and um, he, he his head just rose above the the pack inside the car like a mm-hmm. like a tree, a mighty a mighty uh, fir tree, in the Pacific Northwest, and uh, it was kind of a surreal moment. Yeah, I mean, me me too. I mean, I was I was. I, I was seeing right over everyone's head and they just kept cramming closer and I couldn't like make eye contact to anyone and be like, "You're touching me inappropriately right now." <laughs> um. What else did we do? We 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 rode a boat. Um, so we did the whole planes, trains, and automobiles thing over there. What did you do on uh, the boat? What was the boat all about? We we had a dinner cruise uh, along um, and saw some of the bridges in in Tokyo's um, waterway there. Tokyo Bay. Yeah, Tokyo Bay. And um, what else? We even went up to the the tower up in to- the the Sky Tree. It's called, which <laughs> is uh, really cool too. And there was a, a fun little mascot that we got a photo with. There was a, it was overall a really interesting experience. I mean, I've never been to Japan before, and uh, it's clearly a different culture, a very uh, respectful culture. I mean, everywhere we went, people like every time we left a place to like when we went to we went to the plant, we went to the research and de- um, design uh, facility and research and development uh, facility. Um, test tracks everywhere we left people were also like they would line everybody up and you'd and wave goodbye to you, which I thought was really interesting too. Did it ever make uh, you worry like maybe you weren't? Maybe they knew something that you didn't about where you were going. Like it was hyper dangerous, and they were. It was this formal goodbye because it was just respectful that maybe you wouldn't make it back. No, I, w- I didn't have that fear. But they also took photos of us everywhere. Like they they like lined us all up with uh, whatever executives or uh, or um, hosts that we have, and um, and sat us down and and took photos of us, which was really a form. It felt like school pictures. Like it was interesting in that sense. So did you see any cool cars when you were in Japan, just out on the streets and stuff? Um, a couple of a couple of neat cars, um, but mostly just like weirdly badged stuff. Um, 
I, I laughed because I saw a Mitsubishi version of the Infiniti Q70. Um, so a rebadged version of the In Infiniti Q70 with Mitsubishi logos on it. And I'm like, there's the, the new alliance in action already, right? Did it have a cool name? Like a Mitsubishi was, name? It was called the Mitsubishi Proudia. Wow. See, there you go. Yeah. Um, and uh, there was all sorts of... The other thing is, have you seen the taxis over there, which look like they're... Uh, they look like they're from the 90s, but I believe they're, like, constructed brand new. The yeah, they're, they're Toyota, Toyota, they're Toyota. The Toyota Crown, right? And they have the automatically opening doors, and you're not supposed to touch the doors. And I, I touched all the doors. I'm you're not supposed talking. to touch the doors, Sammy. The guy's supposed to open it for you. That's how it works. And oh, he's wearing okay. gloves, too, right? Yeah, everyone was wearing gloves. Yeah, exactly, because they don't want you touching stuff. <laughs> um there was uh, also these really like, and then there were like modern versions. I can't. I'm trying to remember if there were modern version of this Toyota Crown, which looked like gnarly uh, Lexus vehicles. Yeah, yeah, they're uh, definitely Crowns. They look really crazy. They had like a, an extreme grill, and you think like Lexus has a, a really distinctive grill. These things looked really uh, interesting as well. They also had a ton of those tiny boxy cars. Like uh, they they all looked like Scionics, like first generation Scionics Bs, but maybe even smaller than that. Yeah. Um, and like Daihatsu, Daihatsu stuff and, and, and brands like that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And um, it was really interesting to see uh, all of that. I also saw like there's a there's like a tour group. I think they're called Mari Car, and uh, they're like real life Mario Karts that drive through uh, the streets of, of Japan. Do you get like and, do you get red shells and, and banana peels and stuff? I didn't see anyone throwing any weapons at each other, but they actually had like Mario themed costumes on. <laughs> like, it was amazing. Well, you got to do it up. I mean, you can't, you don't do that halfway. Absolutely. Um, we also, uh, what else did we do? We went to one of those little tiny, like, uh, ramen shops, which was fun. Uh, the food was really nice in there. You Basically, you buy your food from a vending machine, like a ticket, um, and then you go and, and, and wait for your order to come in, which is nice and efficient. And people are eating that in about 15 minutes and out of there. So it's a way to eat and get out on your way. I remember going to this place um, near the train near the train line in uh, Shibuya where the, near the scramble actually. And it was a similar kind of arrangement where you bought you bought your meal with a ticket and then you gave it to a guy. It was called Pepper Lunch. It's actually I think a Korean chain that's achieved popularity in, in Japan. And uh, you get this plate and it's an electrostatically heated piece of iron. Mm -hmm. And the meat and and whatever you ordered is on the iron and you cook it yourself at the counter. And you can put eggs and whatever on it, and like it's hot enough to cook your food. And then you, if if you want it rare, you have to eat it rather quickly because otherwise everything just gets cooked. And it's delicious. Yeah. It's deliciously habit forming. I've uh, I've had some of that here in Toronto. We call it, I guess we call it Korean Korean barbecue. Is not the same thing. Mm, no, Korean barbecue is usually more of a communal thing with an actual you know flame that's cooking stuff. Usually. And this is a personal one. It's a it's, personal it's, heating it, element. It's 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 heated electronically and then given to you like a, as a plate, oh. as a plate it's it, and it just they just put it out in front of you and the food's already on it that's really trippy cool um the, i actually really enjoyed my my culinary experience in japan did i they, thought the food did you was find, really good did they put eggs on everything did that happen to you no they didn't put eggs on everything they had fish and everything and one of the one of the members of our group was uh, allergic to fish and we were really worried about that he would accidentally have like some fish and something uh, mr antoine joubert Yes, that's right. Uh, yes. He was a great guy to hang out with the whole time. Yes, everyone was everyone was cool to, to be with. He's a fun uh, guy. I, I had a similar uh, fish experience with him in um, uh, Marseille, France, a few years ago that ended up kind of devolving into, uh, well, I, I won't get into it, but let's just say that when you're from Quebec and you go to France, you're not necessarily treated very well. 
Oh no! Okay. Yeah. We'll have to. We'll have to. That's for. That's a story for another podcast. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> the underground podcast that we don't advertise. Okay. Right. Um, one of the other experiences. Well, I mean, I don't want to to jump back into what Mitsubishi showed us, but we also got the chance to hang out with um, their designer, and uh, they sh- they brought in on a, a a concept vehicle, the GT PHEV concept. And we got to like get in it and touch it and like play with it, which was very rare because I usually like concept vehicles are like hands off experiences. Usually you have to wait until cover of darkness to do that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was really interesting. It was really cool to, to see that. I mean, and this is, I think, what they're planning on bringing next. I They, they mentioned something along the lines of uh, bringing a production vehicle to the uh, next European auto show. Um, and it was uh, it was interesting. So I can imagine that's that's the direction they want to go. They want to go with uh, green vehicles and crossovers. That's where they think their mark their brand is the strongest. And um, we got a chance to drive to not drive but play with their concept. And it was a really really fashionable concept. It looked like a toned down Lexus. Um, and it was promised to be a plug in hybrid version as well. So you know they're not wrong in in the sense that everyone is buying crossovers and SUVs. But I just find it very difficult to get excited about yet another SUV. I don't know if that's – I don't think that's the, the issue I have. It's – I think they have a limited lineup. They have they don't have anything bringing people into their into their showrooms. No, and, you know, concentrating uh, concentrating on SUVs is, is a way of saying, too, we haven't built a different sedan in a decade. I mean, the Lancer is a design that's extremely old, and there's no other car you can buy in a Mitsubishi dealership. Uh, they're all gone now. So is it just going to be an SUV-only brand? You're missing the uh, G4 sedan. The oh, the Mirage. Mirage. I'm sorry. G4. I'm sorry. You're right. I did totally forget about a car that most people should not be buying because there are much better options. Yes, uh, I don't. I mean, I don't mean to correct you, like, like unnecessarily, but they're they're out there. Uh, no, you should definitely you should definitely the, correct me. I mean, I totally spaced on that, but yeah, I, it's I, it's forgivable. I mean, I don't think I really don't think Mitsubishi would want anyone to talk about the Mirage in any way. No, because, and, uh, and I'm not going to beat up on it because it's fashionable to do that, and that, that that time has passed. And you know, if you're gonna if you're thinking about buying a Mirage, buy a Micra instead. That's kind of how it works. Or if you're in the U.S., I think the Spark is a better option as well. The Spark, the Fiesta, uh, whatever Kia's got going in the subcompact space, anything else is a better option. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe even a, light, a lightly used car. <laughs> <laughs> but you're you're right. They don't have anything in that lineup that really like grabs people's attention. And I think it's funny because some people um, they graduate through automakers' lineup. So when you when you get a compact car and your lease runs out or your financing is done and you want to to move up. Sometimes you just you already have this rapport with a with an automaker or a dealership, and you just go back to them and you get the next car. I think a lot of people uh, work this way. Yes, and definitely. Mitsubishi, you can't you can't do that because you don't have either that first point of contact or an intermediate point of contact. You're just missing a certain product, and they'll people will just go like, I'm 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 not going there. Like I'm not. They don't have something for me. And I think that's a I think that's a problem. I it's really a huge think, problem. It's definitely I don't, a huge problem. I think it's a shame because I know a lot of people aren't buying their cars because they don't have a lot of options but their their products aren't necessarily the worst i mean except for the the mirage uh which is which is probably at the lowest end of its market uh, of its market segment but the rest of its products are not that bad i mean they're not they might not be top tier uh vehicles but they're definitely not in the bo- in the bottom half of uh of what i would i would consider in the markets well i mean the thing is the lancer is definitely at the bottom but is it really but fair the, to say the, that because it's the lancer is dead a... i mean the lancer is, is dead well like, you can you can still buy it 
But like right are they now. 20, aren't they 2015 models or something? That's a good question. I don't know the answer. <laughs> I think they're. I don't know if they're. I'm sure it's it's being discontinued. That's that's the yeah. fact. I, I believe. Um, and you know what was fun though? I did talk to everybody about the the brand. Uh, every every Mitsubishi employee I could find. Um, they they, it's interesting. They have a they have a a global vehicle which a lot of people associate with their success, and it's not quite the. It's not quite the most exciting, but it's the Pajero, which is a off-road, rugged vehicle. And they, they kind of use that as their image uh, of a car that has won a bajillion uh, Dakar rallies and For has sure. seen uh, a, a ton of success on that stage. And it's a tough car. I mean, when you see one on the on the road, especially with, a, you know, it's splashed up with mud or snow or whatever, you know that that's going to be a pretty wicked car. Uh, truck. It reminds me of a Toyota Land Cruiser, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the Pajero and the Patrol have always been, you know... Uh, but the, whenever the, I... Sorry, go ahead. I'm just saying that the, the cars that you'd want to have from Mitsubishi that you could never buy in North America. But you can't buy in North America. And don't we love... Don't North America, especially the Americans, they love trucks like that. Uh, yes and no, though. I mean, body-on-frame SUVs don't really sell. Have you heard of the, the people at Jeep? Jeep sells body-on-frame SUVs, don't they? They sell one very specific body-on-frame SUV, the Wrangler. And right. the Wrangler is a cult onto itself. I don't think you can really project um, the success of a, of a body-on-frame product simply because the Wrangler, you know, dominates. I think I think it's a very special case. I mean, if you look at all the body-on-frame um, vehicles that have died over the last little while, including off-road stuff like the Xterra, mm-hmm. I mean, what are we left with? We're left with the Forerunner, which I believe is body on frame. Yeah. Um, we're left with the Sequoia, which nobody buys. Um, yeah. Then you have the giant um, Tahoe and um, Yukon, which very few people buy as well. And uh, I don't. I wouldn't say very few. I think they're they have they're pretty popular in their segment. I think if you people, look at no. sales, but if you look at sales figures for SUVs of that size, I think that the Yukon and the uh, the um, Tahoe are pro- in the suburban. I think they're in like 60th place out of the top 100 SUVs that are sold in North America. It's okay. just it's 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 a cost thing. I mean, they're expensive vehicles now, which is fine yep. because GM needs to get profit out of them somehow because the numbers are lower. Mm-hmm. Um, but all the intermediate stuff that was more that was more affordable is no longer in play. Well, I mean, I think the other thing though that that contributes to lower sales is when gas got expensive, right? Yes. And now gas has come down, and I understand that. That some of these trucks are getting popular again, well, especially you the, know, especially pickups as well. There just aren't there just aren't that many left. You know, like those those yeah. rugged style SUVs that kind of kind of dropped off. The, I mean, the, the Navigator is very slow seller. Expedition is a fairly slow seller as well. It's just I, I, I was I was fascinated when um, Nissan you know revised the Armada because yeah, how much volume can they really be doing from Armada? Is it is it a prestige thing? Is it is it like you said you have to have one in the showroom because people are moving up through the lineup and eventually they might have four kids or three kids and think that they need that third row and they, they don't want a Pathfinder they want an Armada. I mean it's it, it's it's it, well, obviously I'm not in marketing so it's it's hard for me to say but but I wonder if the Pajero would see some sort of some sort of success or some sort of Im- provide some sort of image here in North America it clearly has an image for Mitsubishi in, in a global way as well but when I asked everybody you know what what's your what's your favorite Mitsubishi product from the from the past uh, like forever what's your favorite product product of all time everyone said the Lancer Evo which is uh, is understandable. Have you do you have an experience with the with the Lancer Evo? I have never driven an Evo, which is the saddest thing I can say because when I was a teenager, <laughs> I I saw a movie called um actually, you know what? I can't even remember 
which movie it was. There was a, there was a Jackie Chan movie that had some yeah. Evos in it that were driven by the bad guys. But there was also a movie called Taxi and uh, from France where a guy has – I believe he has a, a Citroen or a Peugeot. I can't remember. That's all modified. And in the second movie, the second Taxi movie, he fights this gang um, of, of Evos. I think it was the, I think it was the second movie. Anyway, whatever. There was a movie with with Evos in it. They were Evo sixes, and then I I, I was intrigued, and I, I started looking at the World Rally scene, and they had the Tommy Mackinnon edition, and all those badass cars, and I, I thought the six and the seven were were really really cool um, sedans, and I was like, you know what? When I get older, I'm gonna do whatever it takes, and I'm gonna I'm gonna save up my money, and I'm gonna buy an Evo, and that's gonna be my thing. And then when I get to the point where I could afford an Evo, I was like an old man who no longer oh, wanted oh. to spend that much money on an Evo. Because as cool as it was, it was not very comfortable, um, and I just bought my my uh, CTSV instead. So that's 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 you know, d- give up your dreams, kids. Is basically <laughs> what I'm saying. Because the world's gonna take them from you, and they're gonna take them from you in ways you don't even know are possible. Well, it seems like a, a, an amazing product. I mean, everyone I've ever talked to who's driven it says that this is the real deal. This is the real like uh, shining example of what Mitsubishi can provide. And uh, my colleagues um, who have driven it. Uh, and they even compared it to a Mustang, uh, a Boss 302 on the track, which I think is a really bold uh, statement. Well, I, uh, I would love, kind of I would love an Evo thing. 9. I think the 9 is, I mean, now my favorite version of the. I mean, I still have a soft spot for the six. Um, and actually, there's a journalist in Montreal, Vincent Obey, who has mm-hmm. an Evo Evo 2. Um, but uh, the 9 is an incredible piece of machinery. If you look at the the differential management and the uh, the turbo system and just the look of the car, I think when they went to the Evo X, the 10, uh, they really diluted a lot of things, and uh, maybe it's faster, but that doesn't necessarily mean I want it. Um, in the same way that DSG is faster, but it doesn't necessarily mean I want it. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a cool car, and they didn't sell very many of them, and now the company's never going to sell another one, it seems. So it's kind of a sad story. Um, and then continuing on, we uh, we also went to their museum where we got to check out some of their the cars in their um, in their history. Uh, their first car was created was made in 1917, the Model A, and that's what they're commemorating next year, their 100 year anniversary of of making cars. Um, I also found out that they were licensed to make Jeeps, Willys Jeeps, uh, the CJ3, I believe, uh, and they made about like about 200,000 of those over the years, which is which is kind of neat when you think about it. There's a lot of those weird uh, Jeep knockoffs and licensed vehicles that got made. I know there was a, I can't remember the name of the company, um, but they made a, a two-stroke Jeep that you that was imported to the United States, and you can still find it occasionally. And it looks just like, I want to say Suzuki, but I'm not sure if it's Suzuki. And, and in any case, it's like a it's like a seven-eighths Wrangler um, or TJ, and it it's a two-stroke motor. <laughs> and I mean, it's, when I, it's the weirdest yeah. thing. When I first saw these things, I'm like, oh, they made Jeep knockoffs. But then I found out that those are actually licensed product. They they have the they even have the Jeep logo all over them. So that's a strong uh, business model. I mean, you know, move on yeah. to a new design at home and sell the old design to some other market. Yeah, and that's kind of cool, right? Uh, and that's it. I think that that really sums up what I what I got to see and hang out and do in, in Japan. It was uh, it was really interesting. Um, there 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 is so much. I don't know. There's so much there that I wanted to, to check out a little bit more. Um, some other journalists kept telling me that I should drink something called Pokari Sweat, um, which is a, a juice that they sell in the vending machines. And it just sounds really, um, it sounds kind of disgusting. I think which, which variety did you get? Because there's so many varieties of Pokari Sweat now. I just got the regular regular one. And it's, it's all it is, is it's like a, an electrolyte 
um, drink, like uh, almost like like Gatorade, but it tasted more like a Pedialyte, like uh, yeah, yeah, an electrolyte drink. It's too thick. I don't think it's thick at all. I think you and I have very different tastes in, in when it comes to things, especially or, when it came to that ranch or, dressing soda we had a few weeks ago. Or maybe oh, you want to bring up the, the ranch dressing soda. I'm just saying maybe you didn't drink Bukhari Sweat or maybe I didn't drink Bukhari Sweat. Maybe I drank something else. Um, Did you know and, that Bukhari Sweat is made by a company called Otsuka Pharmaceutical? You see, that makes sense. Like I said, it tastes like, uh, it tastes like, uh, like medicine. well that's that's an advertising campaign if i've ever heard one it tastes like medicine put it in your body yeah um and what else i found like seriously the food was great uh we had lots of really nice sushi and our last day we also went to a ninja themed restaurant so i know a lot of people kept telling me to go to a robot a robot restaurant it's not a it's not a restaurant it's but it's awesome it's not a restaurant no it it has it has restaurant in its name and it's not a restaurant it's a total lie they give you popcorn if you want (laughs) but other than that it's just robots which is cool it's like a guar video come to life kind of um interesting anyways well this was a restaurant and and it was really cool because we went into this place and it was like a a dark room and they were like oh your your waitress will is a ninja so she'll be here in a minute and she just like popped out of through this like trap door and was like hello and uh, and then took us to our table through like all of these like secret passages and and caves and stuff and it was really it was really ke- kitschy but like fun at the same time kind of like a the, like a David Copperfield themed restaurant almost yeah for sure where he makes and, your hunger disappear and there was a there was a sweet little button uh, in the middle of the table that was controlled by somebody so every time they wanted uh, refills on their drink or something like a person would would like pop in and like take your drink away and refill it which was really funny. Um, and, uh, there was a, uh, a magician at the end of the night, which is a lot like, you know, they called it a ninja magician, but I think it's a lot like regular magic, but they just <laughs> say ninja at the front of it or ninja cadabra and stuff. So yeah, yeah, ninja know, cadabra, which is, I guess a real thing. And they just yell a lot of gibberish and then something happens, which was fun. Um, I think the highlight of my trip also included, or the highlights of my trip also included watching space jam on the, uh, on the flight over, which is great. How many times did you watch it? Just once, but it was enough. I watched it all the way through, and I found out that there's like a, a, a end credit scene, which is really good, and where Michael Jordan goes, "Can I go home now?" And did I it? That was really funny. Did that totally set it up for the the Space Jam sequel they never made? <laughs> no, not at all. And I hope they don't make a, a sequel because it'll be taken either way too seriously, or no one would get it. <laughs> ah, Space Jam. Yeah. What did, what did you have at home? How about that? I think you have an interesting car and you explained it last week. Well, I'm uh, just, I mean, you know, in comparison to your globetrotting Tokyo ways, whatever I did over the last seven days is honestly, I, it doesn't even compare. It's like holding a, a lighter up to the sun and then having <laughs> someone saying, hey, describe your lighter to me. It's so cool because you know that the only person who would say that is your mom because she supports you. <laughs> Well, if maybe your mom is listening and she wants to she wants to hear what you did what you've I been driving. I don't think she's listening, but on the off chance that she is, uh, I was <laughs> yeah. driving a 2017 Subaru Forester, which is also made in Japan, but not by Mitsubishi. By Fuji Heavy Industries. That's right. Or which is, they're changing their name actually. To what? Subaru, the Subaru Corporation. Oh, that's so terrible. Fuji Heavy <laughs> Industries was a badass name. Um. Okay, before actually, hold on. Before we jump into start talking about your Forester, isn't that interesting too? I mean, I think somewhere near eighteen uh, percent, or the majority stakeholder in Fuji Heavy Industries, is Toyota. Yes. And nobody got into that when that happened. Nobody 
with like, is Fuji Heavy Industries going to still be around? Is Subaru still going to be around after Toyota gets this majority stake in their company? Like the way people are doing with Nissan. And, well, it's and not Mitsubishi. a majority stake. It's a minority stake, but it's just the largest stakeholder, you know? Okay. You know okay. What I, mean? I understand. Yep. And also, I think the Subaru doesn't, I mean, the parent company is a little less involved um, in terms okay. of, uh, anyway, that, that's, that's how I see it. Okay. But I am not, you know, behind the scenes at Fuji Heavy Industries slash Subaru Global Corporation or whatever they're going to call themselves. So I don't have the, I don't have the inside, inside scoop on what, what goes on behind the curtain. All right. Do you have any words to say about your Forester um, uh, tester um, that you got this week? It's a, it's a manual transmission, um, uh, two tiers up from the base. It has a two and a half liter boxer engine, and it's it's perfectly fine in every way. Um, I like it. It's it's you know one thing I really notice about it is there's a lot of glass. Uh, the hmm. green the greenhouse is huge, and and Subaru is pretty good about uh, visibility and being able to see outside of its products, which is something you would think all car companies would be into, but no, uh, sight lines are sometimes slash always sacrificed to styling, and it's not like that with the Forester. So it's kind of like driving a big box with a little bit of style. Um, it's not that, I mean, big as in it's bigger than, you know, a cardboard box, but it's not big like <laughs> a mid-size, sedan, mid-size SUV. It's, it's a reasonable size. I love the I love how easy it is to see out of that vehicle. I mean, it also has nice big mirrors, um, so you can you can check your blind spots really, or your you can check check what's going on beside you. And the the big windows also help you check your blind spots really nicely. Yeah. But the shape of the vehicle is also unbelievably practical. You you don't have to like you don't have to angle stuff or Tetris things around just to fit the whatever stylish body that the car has. Yeah, it's super useful. And I think it's over 70 cubic feet of uh, space in total in the back. If you've all the seat massive. down. It is massive. And it's, you know, class leading, basically. You're, you're right up there with the, the biggest SUVs in, in its segment. Can I ask you one quick question about the car? Um, no, no, I'm, I will not allow it. All righty. Um, Wait, phrase I'll... it, phrase it, phrase it in a way I'll find interesting. Does uh, Starlink suck? Uh, Starlink as in like the app thing that they have with it for like... The uh, infotainment system. Oh, the it, I didn't think the whole infotainment system was. I thought Starlink was the 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 Bluetooth slash Pandora enabling system they have associated with the infotainment. I, no, no, I'm talking the Starlink infotainment system, which I think is slow and uh, and kind of yeah, it's not, not great, not quite user friendly. It's not great. Uh, Subaru has made approximately one stereo that sounds okay. I think <laughs> you can get it in the Legacy. Um, I'm not sure about other products. Uh, it's certainly not in the Forester. Um, they're all just very, you know, middle of the road type of infotainment and, and stereo. It's just nothing to write home about. I mean, it's it's not like I there there aren't a ton of great infotainment uh, systems you can get out there in a in a compact SUV. But uh, yeah, it's it's not great. Um, okay, and moving on, you want to talk about some of the news that's uh, gone on in the industry this week. Uh, I want to talk to you about two um, new kind of teasers and reveals that have uh, emerged and are going to become a bigger story in January when the Detroit Auto Show happens. All right, let's go uh, for it. So the first one I want to talk about is uh, the leaked photos of the Kia GT. Um, I, I have not seen these photos. Let me see if I can find them right now. I'll describe it to you real quick. It's a sports sedan, a coupe-like sports sedan. Um, looks like it would be going after the four, like a BMW 4 Series uh, Grand Coupe, which is um, it's a, it's an interesting, stylish kind of car. Um, but... I wonder if Kia is ready, if there's Kia clientele that are ready to to purchase something like that. You know, I don't really think it matters um, because Kia and Hyundai have, um, they're they're comfortable 
just releasing product that they think improves their brand, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's in terms of prestige or whether it's in terms of just attracting attention to the brand, not necessarily prestige attention, but just attention in general. I mean, we saw that with the K900 sedan, which came to Kia, a high-end sedan um, on par with, you know, at, at the very least Lexus in a mm -hmm. lot of ways, uh, but nobody bought it. And that was Kia was fine with that because it was meant to be a low volume car. And I think that the the the, the GT, um, it it look I'm looking at it now. It looks great. Um, I don't know if there's a market out there for it right away, but they have enough money where it doesn't have to happen overnight. And uh, I, I I like that about the company. I like that they're one of the few companies that takes risks when it right. comes to design. And when it comes to entering new segments, I mean, what Kia could have done what Mitsubishi's doing, which is another crossover another suv that's what bmw has been doing uh we've just been getting variants on existing platforms and uh you know they're in a ton of different niches but a lot of those niches are very very similar style wise and mission wise just in different sizes so for kia to do something like this i mean i applaud it um and this will show up as a in some variation as a hyundai i understand i think maybe the like in the platform and maybe engine or powertrain will show up as a as a genesis uh, maybe a G70 or something like that. Um, the other car that we got a, an interesting view of and not a very flattering one is the new Toyota Camry, which will... Uh, what are you laughing? Because I saw that photo and I don't understand why someone thought releasing a, a crop version, a, a cropped shot of the rear quarter panel slash bumper was was going to entice anybody. You know, it's just, yeah. just kind of, it was odd. There is one thing we can say about looking at it. Um, it will have a taillight. Which is cool. Just uh, one, just like a mono taillight, like a like in a race car. We know at least one taillight. All right, what we can say about this teaser image. But the taillight has a bit of a Lexus quality to it. I can't um, believe we're talking about a taillight. Can you imagine? This is exactly what they wanted us to do. Exactly they wanted us they to wanted talk to about their picture that they released, and we're like making fun of it, but we're talking about <laughs> it, and we're getting the word out. I mean, Kia released these awesome pictures of their GT concept, and we talked about that. And then Toad is like, yeah, we, we don't need to do that. We'll just put out this, this like, three-quarter shot of the rear and then crop it so that it's just, like, some – basically some folds and some steel and, like, a taillight. And they're so hungry for content that they'll just eat it up because they've got nothing else in their lives except Sammy, who went to Tokyo, which is really cool. <laughs> Um, okay, so you don't want to talk about that? Why don't we no, talk about No, I'm done with that. Done with this cat. When, when we that. see the whole Camry, we'll talk about the whole Camry. Okay, uh, then can I talk about what uh, some other people are, are driving? Uh, some colleagues of mine are going to be driving the Lexus LC500, um, which is a gorgeous car. Which they're is not driving beautiful... it right now? Isn't that happening right now? Uh, no, we're on a, we're on a, we're, they're driving it next week. Oh, okay. Uh, we're on a different wave. But yeah, I've been seeing some shots with some people driving it uh, on track, which is interesting to to see a car of that size um, put put on a track. Um, oh, I yeah, but that's... I mean, it's the same size as say like a, a Bentley Continental GT or something like that. You know, that's amazing, man. It, it is a it, first of all, it is a very good looking car. I don't think there. I mean, we had a, a little conversation in I would call it an argument about uh, it being one of the best looking cars um, made lately. And uh, while I didn't 100% agree with that, a lot of the guys in my office uh, said this was this was beautiful. It's definitely attractive. Uh, and if you want to talk about taillights, apparently this has some sort of mesmerizing uh, taillights. And I didn't quite get it, but they think that's really nice. Never look back. Never look back, yeah. Um, but one of the interesting things that I think is important is uh, the fact that this will be offered as a hybrid with a four-speed automatic. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of that? <laughs> Is that that's not the only drivetrain, right? 
No, the hybrid will have that four-speed auto, but it kind of like acts like a virtual. It has in conjunction with the direct drive, uh, or sorry, in 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 combination with the electric motors, it kind of acts. It kind of provides like virtual gears, um, so it can make up gears, I guess, in some way or another. But there are four speeds in the transmission, so you know they're gonna sell <laughs> ten of those, maybe. Um, I don't think it matters. The hybrid, I don't think the hybrid model will be the, the big, I don't think it's going to be a volume car period. And I don't think that the hybrid model will be the, the, the leading edge, uh, unless it's the most expensive, which yeah, it probably I think will that's be exactly what's going to happen. People might people just buy it for go, prestige. I, yeah. I want that pretty car. What's the most expensive version of yeah, that? That's possible. Yoink. Um, that's possible. and then, uh, I think a colleague of mine is also driving, I'm sure, I'm sure a, a colleague of mine is also driving the new Ford, uh, Raptor, which sounds like an interesting car because it has a 10 speed automatic and a V6 EcoBoost motor motor. Oh, and it goes, uh, it goes off road, which is cool too. Yeah. You know, um, I'm very interested to see how many people will make the transition to a tr- twin turbo V6 version of the Raptor. That will be, that's a, that's definitely a hurdle for Ford. Can I ask You've driven a Raptor, right? I've, I haven't yet driven a Raptor. I have not driven a Raptor, no. Okay. Have you ever heard anyone complaining about the old engine, which is a what six point six point two? No, no one complained about nobody complained about it at all. But Ford is no longer interested in making V eight engines uh, for their pickups. They make one, I believe, mm-hmm. the, the the five liter, which is an excellent engine. Yep. Um, and that's it. And uh, they've really embraced EcoBoost all the way. And this is kind of the natural extension of that. And, you know, this, again, there's nothing wrong with the EcoBoost drivetrain. I mean, it is very powerful. But I think there's a certain demographic that was buying the Raptor because of how it sounded and the attitude that came with it. And I don't know if you're going to get that same attitude with the uh, EcoBoost engine. Um, the other thing I wanted to... First of all, you're telling me there's only one V8 in the entire F-150 lineup? I believe so. I don't think they make the 4.6 anymore. Which is a good thing. The Mustang uh, makes the Mustang has more V8s offered. In yeah. Terms of the 5.2 and the and the five. Liter. Yeah. So I think in the uh, F150 you can get the V6, the the base V6, which I think is a 3.7. You can get a 2.7 liter EcoBoost. You can get the five liter V8. And you can get the three and a half EcoBoost. And I think that's it. There was also really interesting um, news that happened uh, in other ways. I mean, I, I I love talking about the Ford F150, but I I can't talk about it anymore. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, I don't know so who you're. I, mean, I don't know who you're apologizing to. I'm apologizing to you for changing the subject uh, all over the place. Um, I'll I'll bring up there. There was some really big deal that happened in Europe. Did you hear about this? Uh, a new charger network. Yeah, uh, I did hear about it. Uh, so this will kind of like rival the supercharging network, but with a different uh, a different group of cars instead of like the Tesla superchargers. It's going to be um, a bunch of European. Uh, automakers, including I think Volkswagen and um, I think BMW and uh, Ford and Audi and Porsche. And, and I think it's important to point out that um, I believe that this network of chargers is using an internationally accepted engineering standard for charging. Is that correct? Yeah, this is going to be um, this is going to be using a. Let me see here. This is the combined charging system standard. Which is the which is an inclusive uh, standard which uh, any automaker can use. So supercharger does not use a standard. And it uses, that, you have, it, it yeah. uses it uses a standard, but not a an internationally developed standard. Correct. That's right. Okay. So and I think they wanted they I guess what the the big play was that um, Tesla wanted people to use their their charging network. Is that was that ever a uh, a game for Tesla? 
Well, of course. I mean, they just recently announced they're going to start charging people to use it, whereas before it was free, right? So I think mm-hmm. that was definitely part of it. Um, I think also the personality of the people behind the company, uh, its position as a maverick. Um, I think that they wanted people to, you know, use their football and 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 not bring their own footballs or not have a football that everyone could make at home. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that that was part of it too. Uh, and ultimately, it sets the industry back because now you're going to have competing standards, and we all know how VHS and beta went. Uh, and I have I have one more thing, and then I think we're going to do a, maybe a, a a more regular feature. So I want to ask you if you've seen this new Cadillac prototype race car. Yes. Which what what do you think of that thing upon first glance? I think it's uh I think it's great that they're back in in prototype racing. It looks cool too. It it's going to be driven cool. by Jeff by Jeff Gordon. It is going to be driven by Jeff Gordon. How neat is that? <laughs> I'm glad he's got work. Yeah. You know, I was, a little, then, I was a little worried about him. Uh, I I know he's got dealerships, but it's not the same thing. And then uh, finally, it's time to talk about our latest uh, wacky Audi thing. <laughs> um, which is that the Lunar Quattro will is officially uh, going to space the going to the moon next year. Yeah, so right. so so tell everyone about the Lunar Quattro. I'm going to pull it up on here because uh, it's just too good. The Lunar Quattro is, is uh, part of this, um, I guess, a, a science experiment um, that Audi uh, Audi's performing that will send their their, I guess, autonomous or or remote controlled vehicle to the moon which now, is now what's the link between the lunar the lunar explorer and smart hobos will, we, will the will the explorer be powered by an anthropomorphized beehive that makes yet. decisions in the in replacement of a, of a neural net i have yet to ask anybody at audi about about the connection of the two in fact i'm actually worried that if i ever ask anybody about lunar quattro or smart hobos. If I ask any of my contacts, that they might be like, "What the hell are you talking about?" <laughs> you think there's a skunk works at Audi that just releases press releases that no one knows about, and like there's like a slush fund of budget that goes to unusual technology projects, and then like the the, the mothership's like, "We don't want to hear about it. Just spend the money." Like it's a, it's a tax thing. I would love that, especially I would love to be a part of that group just to 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 come up with these weird, random, just bizarre stories to to tell people about i'm I'm reading the story on your outlet auto guide and um it talks about how how the the audi lunar quattro has shed 11.6 pounds but it doesn't say compared to what compared to the (laughs) previous model year lunar quattro like it's 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 just funny because it it has e-tron power now Mm. um Anyway, it's, it's, you know, I mean, I'm glad that it's losing weight. I mean, that's good because you you want to be as maximized performance when you're out running the moon nights. But, I guess uh, it was uh, before, the, with the last uh, iteration of this uh, this prototype, I guess, this is the latest model I also, going up to space. I also want to mention that the, um, apparently there's a, a German space travel team <laughs> called the Part-Time Scientists, and yeah. they're going to go to the moon uh, at the end of 2017, and they're going to bring this thing with them. Yeah. But here's my question: Would you travel with a group called part-time scientists? To <laughs> no, the you want full-time scientists. You want, you? yeah, you want someone who's confident, someone who's not just scientisting on the weekend or like <laughs> when they have an occasional free Thursday afternoon. You know, the moon is far away, um, and I don't want to get trapped there. I mean, sure, it would be cool to drive the lunar quattro around all the time, but it would be also be very lonely. I can't honestly. I can't wait to uh, bring up more random Audi 
press releases in the future of our podcast. What do you think of that idea? I think that Audi is going to be an endless fountain of interesting scientific projects that we can mine for uh, for content. I'm going to keep looking it up. And that brings up another thing. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to going to CES uh, at the beginning of uh, January. Um, I've yet to book my flights and, and accommodations yet, which I'm a little worried about because now I think tickets are skyrocketing. But um, it's going to be a good time. There's, there's always some interesting stuff to see. Uh, I actually have a press release from Hyundai who are helping make some cool exoskeletons that will help paraplegics gain the ability to walk or allow the military to run at speeds of 12 kilometers an hour. What do you think of that idea? Well, why not both? Why, why, why can't we allow the disabled to run at speeds of 12 kilometers an hour? Are they going to get like powered down versions of these exoskeletons? I don't know. I mean, I guess I can assume we can do we can combine the two. I would hope so. I just, hope it so doesn't too. seem fair to not do it. Is That's what I'm right. saying. Yeah. That's right. So I'm looking forward to all that stuff. CES is always a, a bizarre land, and uh, I can't wait to go this year. Well, I am not. I I may or may not be at CES, but I am excited about um, about what I'm doing next week, which is heading down to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a town I have never been to, and I am going to be shooting a, a Chevrolet Monza for roadkill. And what makes this Monza so special is that it's been supercharged using leaf blowers. Holy uh, moly! To answer the age-old internet question of, will attaching a leaf blower to my intake give me more power? Um, the short answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. But whether it actually helps you go faster is up for debate. And there's a, a cool video on, uh, I believe, Motor Trend On Demand and Roadkill where you can see what happens when you do something like this to a Monza. And I, I also want to mention that a, a Roadkill episode came out yesterday or the day before where they expanded the concept of uh, the, the, the Monza by building a trailer that has a supercharger on it. And then you can attach this trailer to any car and you can use the supercharger on any vehicle. Whoa. So you're, you're basically towing a supercharger. <laughs> that sounds interesting. Yeah, so uh, I would love that, to see something like that. At least you you can tell from a mile away which uh, which who's the the enthusiast on the road. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. I mean, anytime you're towing more power, I mean, you're 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 that guy or girl. Um, so that'll be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, the car is crazy, and it'll be a fun photo shoot. And uh, we'll have a feature up uh, pretty soon after about that. Uh, before we before we end this, the, just the description of towing your powertrain reminds me of the first generation or the early generations of Rav Four, which had the you to, the car towed its own batteries, which is hilarious. I think I think that's a very poor business. That's a, that's not very efficient at all, is it? <laughs> well, where are you gonna put them on the roof? Yeah, I don't know. I guess, why can't you do that with a super with a supercharger? Exactly, and you totally can. It's like those remote turbo kits, you know, like yeah. the ones that like are under the trunk, and you just rely on like super long piping and tolerate crazy lag to to get your turbo fix. Exactly. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing your report from that. Um, and that sounds really like an exclusive story. So uh, that's awesome. <laughs> well, Roadkill did did build the car, so yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of exclusive in that sense. But you know, it's it's uh, the end of the year, and things are slowing down for me. I think. So I'm not sure how many more uh, trips um, I'll be doing. I, I I wasn't able to squeeze uh, I wasn't able to squeeze um, the uh, Raptor in um, next week. So I'm pretty sure that might be the end of my travels for 2016. Which means I, I do have some interesting cars coming up uh, over the next little while at home. Um, uh, next week is a you know an, another SUV. It's a it's a Hyundai Santa Fe XL. But after that, there's the Volvo S90. And a uh, BMW 650 convertible, 
which I will have while it's snowing, and that's always fun, top down with the the flakes floating down onto your face. And uh, the X4 M40 uh, crossover. Um, I am curious to see how sporty that actually is. Um, so that's that's the next few weeks for me. That is a good. I don't have any. I don't have anything special booked uh, in the next few weeks. I might swipe some of my colleagues' uh, press vehicles when they're not able to t- to take them because they may be taking uh, some trips. But um, I've got, like I said, I've got CES and uh, I've got a little vacation booked in Copenhagen where I can tell you all about the bike culture. How about that? An exciting, an exciting vacation that I look forward to hearing about. Oh yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, that's it for this week. Uh, this week's edition of the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. Uh, once again, I'm Sammy Hadjassad, and over there is Ben. Ben, why don't you tell them how we can get in touch with how they can, can get in touch with us? Well, I prefer email uh, Benjamin at benjaminhunting.com, but you can also um, hit me up on Twitter. It's at hunting Benjamin. And I know Sammy prefers the Twitter uh, almost exclusively. He, he will not give out his email address in public, and it's certainly not easy to look up his email address at any of the outlets or the one major outlet that he writes for. But it's uh, at Sammy underscore ha, H-A, like you're laughing. Um, yeah. And that's that's the easiest way to get in touch with him. Uh, we'll figure out some other I, I, We should figure out some other ways to uh, to get people to get in touch with us uh, in addition to that. But, well, uh, I mean, yeah, you, those could, are... you know, uh, on SoundCloud, I think you could probably get in touch with us there. I have no idea if that's actually possible, but you can follow us on SoundCloud and on <laughs> iTunes and on uh, Google Play. So yep. uh, yeah, look for us there. And until next week, um, have a have a ha- have a safe and uh, eventful seven days. That sounds like a good idea. Bye, everyone. <laughs>